Welcome to 3AM, What's Keeping You Up at Night. Our podcast conversation is driven to bring you the best stories from social impact superstars to answer questions, provoke action, and inspire you. Why did we name the podcast 3AM, What's Keeping You Up at Night? Because so many of us wake up in the middle of the night with questions, ideas, concerns, and sometimes regrets. According to the traditional Chinese understanding of how the body works, it's the time in a person's daily cycle when the body intersects the work of detoxification, rest, recovery, and planning. So a perfect time to begin to optimize your impact, to disrupt the status quo, to make the world better. For this episode of 3AM, What's Keeping You Up at Night, we welcome servant leader, David Sebome, the founder and head volunteer of Raise the Roof, an organization that supports the mission of Raise the Roof Academy in Baswandeku, Uganda, which is to fight poverty through education and to restore dignity through leadership empowerment and development. David and I became friends when I joined him as a choir member in a program he created called Nashville Sings with Uganda. I traveled with my youngest daughter, Caroline, on that trip with about 30 other Nashvillians. I fell in love with the country and the people as we sang with an incredible Ugandan youth choir, played and learned with hundreds of school children, provided medical care for hundreds of villagers, and I got to watch an organization based in the U.S. successfully deliver its mission in a country eight time zones away. I returned to Uganda with him to work with about two dozen school leaders in the Masaka region over a week to talk about school leadership, data-driven decision-making, and building professional community to support their faculty and staff. Each participant of that week still holds my heart. And that's why David's here to talk about his servant leadership in providing opportunities of empowerment to those in his homeland. David currently is the senior pastor at Hillcrest United Methodist Church here in Nashville. As you can see, there's a lot to talk about, so let's jump in. So David, we are so glad that you are here today on 3 a.m. What's keeping you up at night? Thank you for coming. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Before we get started, let's talk about the why behind Raise the Roof. Could you do that for us? Well, the why uh, that's driving Raise the Roof, it's almost a singular word that I could think of, and that word is dignity or human worth. And this, for me, goes back to my own childhood and my own upbringing and what I saw in my household, what I saw with my mother. And this word of dignity, of human worth, has become a mantra for all of us, what it would look like for us to see people the way they were created, people of worth, the dignity they have, and looking at the forces or the powers that destroy the dignity that people are born with. You're born beautiful, you're born into this world and somebody celebrates you, somebody rejoices over you, somebody says, welcome to the world. People bring gifts. And as you journey through life, you begin moving away from the dignified person that you're born, that you're loved and cherished, and you begin taking on the world and the, and the forces of poverty, hunger, war, conflict, disease. Uh, the, the, the ecosystem of the world <laughs> takes you on. And somewhat, you wake up one morning and, and you feel like, man, is life worth living? 
And so for us at Raise the Roof, we say to people, yes, life is worth living. And we want to be part of making that possible. Uh, and so this idea of dignity. And so that undergirds what we do, respecting people, honoring people, literally celebrating people. And out of that, people catch the fire <laughs> and, and rejoice again and, and journey on. And so, yeah, there could be war, there could be conflict, there could be hunger, there could be disease, there could be famine, there could be just forces of destruction. But helping people discover their worth can be catalytic, can be transforming, can literally catapult them into agents of change where all as powerful and transformative as we are, basing on how people treat us. One of my favorite taglines from the mouth of Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, is go and do likewise. Jesus touches this guy's life and tells him, go and do likewise. And I think for me, that is a mantra. That's the tagline. It's the great commandment. Love of God, love of neighbor. It's the whole idea. Love others as you love yourself. Treat others as you want to be treated. Now, sometimes we don't treat ourselves so good. We don't love ourselves. But go do likewise. If good has been done unto you, Pass it on, pay it forward. And, and, and that's the ecosystem we're trying to build. And, and that, for me, is the why. Go, do likewise. I was a kid in Uganda who was impacted by the kindness, by the generosity, by the hope, by the faith, by the belief of others. People believed in me. They didn't have to. You know, today uh, when people see me, they oh, he, he, I can't believe in that guy. No, I was just a six-year-old kid without shoes just running in a community and living like any other little boy out there. And somebody say, there's potential in this kid. Isn't that the American dream? Isn't that what even our popular shows like American Idol, The Voice, isn't that what sports is all about? That people look at people and say there's potential. That's what we do when we hire people. That's what we do when we try to form organizations in communities. And actually, that's the most powerful force idea that we all can have, that there is tremendous potential in people. You have to believe in that. Whether it's here in Nashville, whether it's in Uganda, if you enter any community, you have to believe there's talent here, there's ideas here, there's potential here, there's dreams here, there's possibilities here, and let's get excited about it and get to work. That's beautiful. So one way to uncover that potential, to nurture it and to grow it, is through education. Absolutely. And the belief, as I understand it with Raise the Roof, is that as soon as you can get students into a classroom, you begin that uncovering for them. Mm -hmm. And it can come at very different times. Walk us through Raise the Roof's operational thinking about education and potential and empowering a generation. We have this model or tagline, which is education equals choices. And that can sound like a cliche, but people make choices based on what they know. If you're out there and you do not know, if you're not exposed, if you do not have access, you're going to make Decisions based on the information that's in front of you. What we're trying to do with the education system and program at Raise the Roof is to bring a community together. This is about eight hours a day that people spend time together. This is the most amount of time a community will spend together. It's more time spent in a classroom than in their homes or places of worship or the marketplace anywhere. And can you imagine bringing kids together and you begin 
challenging them and throwing ideas and saying to them, let's think about this. Let's think about this. Why does this happen? How might we solve this? What does the world look like? And we get friends from America who come in and they bring their American ideas or their questions. And it's this idea of core learning, of core inspiring or core questioning that's done together that people begin learning. Learning is more than the math formula. Mm. Learning is more than learning the other language. But learning how to navigate life is probably one of the key things we're doing. We have students who will excel at math, at science, at biology. But we also know there are students who are just gifted at solving puzzles of life, which is what we call street knowledge. Put them out there, they will get things going. And we're trying to bring both kids or both worlds. And, and so our education program is, is giving kids the idea that you can follow the traditional path, make it all the way. But also there's this idea of learning up and learning down. So kids are going home and are becoming teaching agents at home. They're teaching mama, mama, we have to boil the water. And the child knows they're not going to get on the school van unless they have a bottle of bold water. Well, guess what? Now, mama at home knows we got to have bold water. That is improving health. Mama is learning about how malaria spreads. That is because at school we're cutting grass. We're modeling that, and we've got to cut the grass. And we tell the children, we cut the grass and cut the bushes because the mosquitoes multiply and continue reproducing due to stagnant water and the bushes and the grasses. Well, let's take that at home. Do likewise. Go home and do that. And when we visit the homes, we're looking at everything from the community side, not just what happens in class. And I think this is what's so unique at Raise the Roof. We do not measure our success by what happens in a classroom. We're measuring our success by the transformation we're seeing at the household level. And that's what's unique at Razor Roof. If I can come to a home where kids were sleeping on the dirt floor, where they were not drinking bold water, where they were not sleeping under a mosquito net, or people were not drying their utensils, the dishes, the plates on a rack, elevated uh, stand, and they were putting them in the grass on the floor, then we're having problems. And so we're just engaging each other and educating each other and sharing best practices. Now, the village people have... Incredible ideas, incredible practices, incredible knowledge that they're also passing on to us. When we go in, we bring our ideas and we say, this is how you change the world. And they're like, not so fast. The most important lesson I have learned, they are the experts in transforming their community. I always have to believe in that. They are the experts. My job is to ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. And once you ask questions, we begin thinking together. So the classroom really is this conduit or entry point into the community, and then the community itself becomes a classroom so that all get better and all understand the value of certain things in terms of hygiene, but also how important education can be as a determinant of success. And then for the students, the children to go home and actually bring more than this book learning, mm -hmm. it is transformative. Mm -hmm. And you're doing much more on the campuses now than simply conducting classes. So now you have this portfolio. <laughs> it's almost as though it has become 
it certainly is a school, and it's a gorgeous school, um, and we'll make sure that the website is up so people can see it. But then now the community joins in, and it's a campus of community. Can you talk about all the variety of things you're doing now? Yes. I'll begin by saying, when I was a kid going to school, I went to a boarding school. I'll never forget this. And there was a big fence around that school. And all of us who came from the city would drive into the village Drive miles, miles, maybe 10 miles, dip into the rural village because that's where most boarding schools are. Keep the kids out there so they don't get in trouble in the city. And the school was beautiful, and we entered. When we started Raise the Roof, I remembered the power of the fence, that the fence closed out the community. So we would drive through the dirt roads and all the little kids in that community who didn't have the resources to come to this particular school would just wave at our cars and we would enter the school. What we've done at Razor Roof is, yes, there's security, there's a fence and all of that, but we're saying that the fence should not close out the community. And so what we've done, as I said, we use this model called the household model. So when we admit a family into Razor Roof, we ask, what is mama doing? What is grandma doing? What is uncle or daddy? Whoever the caregiver is, they're doing and what the children are doing. And so out of that Little by little, all our programming has actually been a response to a discovery. We started with your traditional form of education, math, science, English, literature, whatever it is. And then we learned that what we're teaching kids was good for them, but grandma needed education. So we created this program called the Center for Social Enterprise. The Center for Social Enterprise right now has three programs. It has tailoring which is making dresses, uniforms, shirts, pillows, bed sheets. It's generally making clothing, and that has tailoring machines. And it's literally a little mini fashion powerhouse that we've created. All our uniforms are now made there. They're all made there. We're not outsourcing them. They're made by the grandmas from the community. They were home, but now they've been trained. There are instructors that teach them, and then they make them. And that's how they're learning. And after a year, they will graduate. And after they graduate, they will probably go find a job in another mm. school. Mm -hmm. And we're working with them also to find work. Uh, we have carpentry. And then we have the culinary program that is teaching baking and cooking. There's a bunch of events that happen. So out of that, people are learning. And a lot of them are people for whom the traditional path of math, science, and your typical high school, college is not their path. But this is how they're also learning and, and developing skills. So that is what Raise the Roof Today looks like. Uh, we have a talent program, which is dance, music, drama. These are gifted people. Once you create the platform and you say to people, write a play, you'll be surprised at what village people can do. They will write the funniest SNL of Uganda. <laughs> so, so it's fun. So you're providing, in the long term, education for the students to have the foundational pieces. But you're also, in real time, providing workforce development for members of the community, which could be the caregivers for some of the students. And so you're becoming self-sustaining. Is that the point? Yes. And the point is actually to graduate people out of the Raise the Roof program. Because when you come in our program, you come with deep need, great need, and great want. We think you ought to graduate out of the program, empowered and able to resource yourself. So this actually Center for Social Enterprise is the most exciting thing we've ever done. I didn't tell you this. We now also have a high school. That happened this year. They're in their 
fourth week as we speak. Oh, wow. So there's 117 students who are part of the Raise the Roof High School. Raise the Roof will turn 10 years, 10 years, February 2021. And we are so excited to share with the world that in such a short time, we will have K to 12, all there. It's all in-house. We'll have a center for social enterprise. This is vocational training, workforce development. And what this means, no child, no grandma, no grandpa will be locked out of education's possibilities. That's amazing. So what did the first day look like on the first Monday of February in 2011? Oh, it was crappy. (laughs) (laughs) What we did, back to the idea of dignity, changed the way people see themselves. So everybody got a new pair of shoes, a new uniform, and looked beautiful. And all the kids were dressed in their uniforms. And literally, uniforms, like anything, make you feel like you're part of that club you're in. And they started in a dirt floor building structure that's right there. We are keeping it. We're not going to lose it. We want to be reminded. The one question I remember, and this has stayed with me, one of the parents asked me, David, is this for real? Or you're just here to excite us like others who have come? And my word to her was, Mama, I do not know. But all I know is that if you do your part, I will do my part and our friends will do their part. Everybody has a part. And that, I've repeated this line and I've said, we are only as strong if everybody does their part. You do your part. I got my part. And our friends, the people who sponsor the children, everybody, this is a collective work. So important because I think a lot of times... Those who are serving do not consider those being served. And it is a very paternalistic partnership. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What Raise the Roof does Mm -hmm. is not only provide experiences to serve, but it demands that those being served be brought into the conversation, brought into the design table. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is the distinguishing piece of the effort. Mm -hmm. If you want it to work, you have to actually take the back seat because it's not about you. You know my work is only as relevant and important as the people for whom it's ultimately going to pay off. I will be transformed. I will discover so much about the world and about myself. But often we enter this work looking at the naked, the visible needs, hunger, homelessness, injustices that are so in front of you. And often we want to come in, but we have to take the back seat and ask the people, what can you do to change this? What do you want to do to change this? So it goes beyond the salve, right, the mm-hmm. Band-Aid, and it goes mm-hmm. to solution, mm-hmm. which And I think you said it right at the beginning as a matter of people feeling their dignity is restored Mm -hmm. or perhaps even feeling it for the first time, Mm -hmm. which can make all of us weep. But to feel that and then to feel the worth and to understand that they are given certain talents Mm -hmm. and certain um, skills that only they possess Mm -hmm. and contributing that to a community where they feel that potential, that skill, that value is actually important to the community is a transformative experience. Mm -hmm. So how many students were there on the first day? There were 30 kids. There were 30. And can you give us a 
a size of the student body now? Today, Raise the Roof has an enrollment of 1,356 students and 96 staff members. Those are paid staff members. We have seven community development centers that are led by village community members. These are grandmas, mothers, fathers, the people who are residents, the experts. We call them the experts. These are the experts. And then we we have three staff members here in America. Uh, we have a board that oversees the work. Also in Uganda, we have a board. But the experts, I would say the work is really done by the experts. And they are very powerful people. Yes, yes. I think one that I met you characterized her as the one who could crack the whip and get anybody. <laughs> yes, to yes. make sure that she would come through and provide the guidance that mm-hmm. she needed, but also kind of the let's go, kind of the finger wag as well. And I'll tell you, in the last 10 years, the one thing we have learned, we've made mistakes and we've had successes, but I'll never forget the one constant thing that I keep on going back to is the day we kind of are not in sync with the experts, with the law cause, with the leaders, that's when things go down. That's when morale goes down. That's when energy is down. And that's where the Jaja Moles feel like, okay, they don't need me. And if Jaja Mole does not feel like this is her, because the challenge is to bring in the expatriates, which is the people from the city, the educated people, the people who are doing it because they have the degrees. What I say, don't do that. Keep in mind, you need the expatriates, the nurse who knows the science, but you need the community health workers who's going to go house to house and make sure people are boiling water. It takes that partnership. And I always say all community development is only as important as our ability to listen and co-learn. And the only time that something can be sustained through strength is for those who are on the ground, mm-hmm. feel as though their voice is heard, mm-hmm. not just heard, but is as strong mm-hmm. as those who could be perceived in the normal status quo. Mm-hmm. It's not normal, but yeah. in the status quo, that hierarchically, that yes. voice is more important. Yes. So if all voices around the table have the same strength, not just in volume, yes, that's when the transformation happens. And for the students to see that happen has got to be empowering. So they can make decisions about staying in the community because that is strong and fulfilling, as well as if they want to go to Kampala or go study around the world, that the community is not a less than, it is the vibrant reason Mm -hmm. why Raise the Roof is Mm -hmm. as important and powerful as it is. Mm -hmm. What you're saying is is exactly the recipe for success. We have to be very sensitive and cognitive of our privileges. I was born in Uganda. I am Ugandan in some way, but I live in America. And my biggest fear, my deepest fear, is for people to think that what my role in the work we do, and I'm aware of this because people will attribute it, is because you live in America and you have these connections and this. So I am aware that that's what people attribute it. So I have to get out of the way and literally say, Jaja Mole, how do you do it? Quick story. We were beginning the high school. So December 2019, we realized that all the children who are in high school do not have sufficient funding to stay in the boarding schools where they are. So that was one lesson. 
Then we looked at their performance, even those who we'd already sent into these expensive high schools in Uganda. They weren't doing well. These kids come from deep rural communities. Now we put them in these high-end, high boarding schools in Uganda, and they're struggling. And then those kids, once they've been there, they also pick up habits. They come back to grammar, and they, they can't listen. They're like, I'm cool, I'm a teenager, I'm hip, and all this stuff. So we said, we have these three problems, what do we do? So I went around before Christmas, sat with the key leaders and some community people. We held listening sessions. We went to the caregivers. We held listening sessions. We went to the kids. We held listening sessions. How is it going? Are you excited? Are you still fired up? We also say to them, also now, and this is what we know. We don't have all the funding. So how do we all together solve this? And I'll never forget this. We sat, you've been there in the pavilion, in the big room, all the kids and all their parents and all the staff, and we made a presentation. We said, here's what we've discovered, the data. Show them the data. And we said, today we're here because we've all been talking and we're going to make a decision. We never told them that our plan was to build a high school. That was our internal plan and hope that we wanted it to be their, their idea. We wanted them to come up with a solution. We thought that could be that or another one. The kids talked. The caregivers talked. Definitely the mother, the grandmas and them are on a different wavelength and the kids are on a different wavelength. And we were just observing. And in the end, they came up with two solutions. The kids say, if we get tutors, we can actually excel. They weren't looking at the cost. The caregivers and us, we're looking at the cost that we don't have the cost. And essentially we said, let's take a vote. Go in the corner. Some of the kids were also divided. They went in one corner and the caregivers were, some of them were divided. They went in a corner and they talked. And within about an hour, we said, we will regroup and we report. And we left the space and we said, you all decide. Whatever we decide is what we'll do. They came back and it was unanimous. They had convinced each other that maybe we will begin small, like we began with the primary school. But let's come home and build a high school. Today, as I speak, we've hired 21 high school teachers, set up laboratories, libraries, and classes are running, and everybody's coming to school. And that means forever and ever, as long as these kids are in the program, whether a sponsor is able to keep paying for them or not, they have a classroom as we sort out their fees because now it's in-house. And I tell you, that is the power of bringing the community up front and center and telling them, you have to decide and you have to lead us. And we're taking a back seat. And that's what they do. You are one of those classic examples of if we build it, they will come. (laughs) And I wonder, David, how that works in the city where we are. The challenges of poverty are the same everywhere. The challenges of being hopeless or feeling lack of worth, lack of dignity, not understanding that that potential lies within each of us, it just hasn't been uncovered or the circumstances don't allow it. You're worried so much about basic needs. And this is true in the Masaka region with the people that I know. And it's also true here in Nashville. What are some of the parallels that you see? And what can we do as Nashvilleians? This is my conviction. Every time you meet another person, there's two questions that are at play. You're asking yourself, who am I? And the people are asking, who am I? And they're asking, who are you? And you're asking, who are you? You're asking each other these two questions. And those are questions about power, power differentials. 
Nashville has a lot of poor people. The difference between Nashville and Uganda, or rural Uganda, is in Nashville, the roads are paved, the lights are on. In Uganda, they're dirt roads. There are no lights. Just God stars, you know, mm-hmm. use your light. But the poverty is the same. The emotional, intellectual, and depressing, indignifying stresses are the same, making you feel less than your worth. And if we see people and enter into conversations with them, and we set up the table, like we say, and we open the doors, and we ask them, what is your name? And we say, my name is David. How are you? Can we go bowling together? (laughs) Can we go to lunch? This is literally what I do in Nashville. And you begin to see these barriers falling apart. The barriers for us in Nashville are on class, zip codes, where we went to school, what families we come from, and race and gender and some of those. They're the same in Africa, Mm -hmm. in Uganda, in Uganda's religion. And poverty in Nashville is worse than in Uganda because you go to Wasandeku and everybody lives in a home the same. Here, no, there's way more homeless people in Nashville than in Wasandeku. In fact, I don't think there's one homeless person in Wasandeku. They might live in a mud hut, but that's their home. Here, there's a lot of poverty in America. And and I think for us in America, the poverty is the poverty of the heart. There's a story, and I'll finish with this story in Scripture, where Jesus is confronted with this temptation, turn stones into bread. And I say, what's wrong with that? We should do all we can to turn anything we can into bread. In a world of hungry people, why is that a bad thing? It is only a bad thing because it does not address the problem itself. The problem is itself. The, the reason people are hungry is our hearts are just hard, are just like rocks, and that's where the work needs to happen. So my view and my understanding of poverty in America begins with the transformation of our hearts, of sitting down with people, asking them, what is your name? And making that conscious decision. In America and in my experience, what I've seen is we have poor people who we welcome, but we don't engage. We let them enter our buildings for ESL classes, but we don't sit down with them. We let them come and organize their communities in our buildings, but we don't go to join them. And we're always hoping they join us. And I think that is the root of poverty. We say, if you have this opioid problem, that's the, the, those are the people with the opioid problem. We don't go to sit with them. And I, if it's homelessness, we don't show up for room in the inn and sit with, with them and say, tonight is room in the inn, even though I'm just, you know, we say, come and sleep in our building. And there's two people who volunteer. I think poverty only ends when barriers go down when we cross the room and sit with people and become friends. And I mean genuinely friends. I think that's what it takes. And I think for me, that's what I've learned in Uganda. Just make a friend with a poor person materially. You will discover your poverty and together you will enrich each other. And I think that's where it is. That's beautiful. David, thank you so much for being with us. I look forward to the day when a uh, Metro Nashville school is a partner with Raise the Roof, and so the children get to learn from each other in the two classrooms. That is my hope. Anybody out there that wants to get involved, we welcome anybody. We love to core learn. We love 
tinkering with these ideas. This is fun. That's what is beautiful. The most crazy idea is to think we're going to end poverty. The most exciting thing is that this is a big, big problem and we can tinker with it and be innovative and creative all we want. Well, I appreciate so much you coming on. You know how much I care about Raise the Roof and how exciting it's been to work with you folks. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your dedication to Raise the Roof. You helped us start the Association of Turnaround Schools, which is part of the Headmasters Association under the bigger umbrella. And now there's those 37 schools that are working. You helped us do that, Deb, and I am thankful. I cannot say thank you enough for having me. As you heard, David's mission to bring dignity to all fuels his passion to serve. The interesting and unique point of view David brought to his work in Uganda now fuels his thoughts and actions here in Nashville as he broadens his lens and thus his plans to offer the opportunity to reclaim dignity to our marginalized communities through education and work. We are grateful to David Sebleme for joining us on 3 a.m., What's Keeping You Up at Night, and thank all of you for joining us. My name is Deb McFarlane Enright. This podcast is a production of the McFarlane Group, a company formed to disrupt the status quo in the social impact ecosystem. If you're new to the podcast, join our community and subscribe at themcfarlanegroup.com. Our next podcast brings light to these precarious fundraising times for those in the social impact space. Michael Woodnorth of Woodnorth Advisory will help you diversify your revenue streams, making your organization stronger as we move forward into a new normal. I hope that all of you are well. Please let us know how we can be of help to you. Until next time.